Welcome to another episode of Based News Network. This is going to be a very interesting and epic episode because I he- have here, we have Sophie, aka Joan of Arca. Say hi, Sophie. Hi. And then we have Ulis Kai. I don't know. How do you pronounce your name? Ulis Kai. Oh, I did pretty good. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, you <laughs> might know them as Inherent it girl on instagram i personally know them as one of the most interesting and exciting philosophers of yes. our generation um they have a new book coming out uh or is already out is it is it already released no already? it's not out yet i not, not out yet finished writing it actually oh okay well i already paid for it so you know you you've got my money i've already pre-ordered it oh you co- ordered the other one oh oh i'm, I'm sorry it was t- i'm talking about technically man dwells upon this earth oh yeah yeah that one is finished, don't worry. Okay, so that one's finished, good. <laughs> All right. You have another one, though? Yeah, Woke Brutalism. Oh, oh they're different. Oh. Okay. We thought All that right. they were the same. Book. No, they're so, not. I thought Woke oh. Brutalism was like a chapter within... T- okay, this is good. This is good, new, like, <laughs> good news, content. breaking news. <laughs> yeah. So, Yay. Sophie... Okay, so... You have technically mantles upon this earth, and then woke brutalism, which I am extremely excited for now because I was already excited for one, but to get two now is going to be really fun. So everyone, go follow Inherent It Girl on Instagram. Go buy the book. Just go buy it because <laughs> I, have, I haven't even I haven't even read it yet. It's still coming in the mail, and I already know it's going to change my life. But we're going to talk about the news of the week, and then Sophie and I have a million questions for Ulis and. We're going to learn a lot about philosophy in this episode, I think. But first, let's talk about the news, which is that we are seeing, it is being reported right now, and this, we got trolled before when reports (laughs) said Trump was going to be arrested, and then it took some time. It looks like Joe Biden is going to probably announce that he is running for re-election in 2024. He's going to be announcing that probably this week, probably Tuesday. Um, and that was That's a big when this episode comes out too, by the way. So, oh yeah, it could be today. once again, you will know what is up with like Tuesday and like American politicians are always announcing stuff on Tuesday. I don't know. That's we should, we should know that given that we're doing that. We, but we don't know that, <laughs> but what we do know is given that Donald Trump is way ahead in the polls, Ron DeSantis is falling behind. We don't know exactly how that's going to shake out, but it looks like the most likely outcome is it's going to be Joe Biden versus Donald Trump running in 2024, the epic battle of history. Rematch. Yeah. I think we're all in denial. Like I think we like I think we we are all like so traumatized by 2020 having to witness Joe Biden and Trump dish it out that like we're all still so traumatized by that we're in denial that we have to witness that yet again in 2024 and there's a solid like 30 30 percent chance 40 percent chance that like trump could be president again also is like absolutely mind-boggling but that's um that's what that's what uh, that's what base news network journalism is for so we can keep you in the know and we can all cope (laughs) together as we get through it Yay. All right, okay. so, Ulis. Yes. What do you think about Joe Biden and Trump running again in 2024? Um, I, I think it's important that Trump 
does not center his discourse on like negative stuff about losing the election the election and the election being stolen if he wants to win he has to go like with the winner stance that he had in 2015 2016 like the i don't give a fuck like uh which made him win in the first place because people like him because he's a winner you know and mm-hmm. if he goes for like the bitter guy who got stolen like out of an election that's just he's not gonna win with that yeah that's, that's a, a good really point interesting point yeah especially if he's running against the person who already beat him once so it's exactly a, he, he could set up a very clear dynamic where it's joe biden is the winner and i'm the loser and i'm the bitter loser that's a great point so we'll yeah say- because you don't vote for donald trump because he's a loser you vote for him because he always wins yeah mm. yeah <laughs> yeah i guess so is it strange as a as a canadian watching this or are you kind of disengaged or how do you feel about it you know in 2016 i bet all of my savings on Donald Trump mm. that he was going to win. And then in 2020, I bet that he was going to lose. And my impression oh my is like 2024, it's like kind of up for grabs, you know, because like if he manages to make it like to make it kind of, you know, ignorant without being mean, you know, the kind of like, huge guy in a in a bar who would like speak too loud and be kind of annoying but be like kind of you know just joyful about it if he gets to tap in that energy he's probably gonna win but if he taps into like the angry drunk he's gonna lose wow i think very (laughs) fascinating perspective i've honestly never thought about it that way I'm gonna say. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm gonna say right now the fact that you 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 won two bets on these two very risky bets. Uh, maybe you're on. Maybe you know something. Maybe you have a good insight here. Yeah. If you're because uh, the 2016 <laughs> one was a real shocker, and um, maybe it sounds like you probably made some good money off that. Yeah, I actually did. <laughs> oh yeah. really? How much did you make? Wait, because I was broke. I was broke. Uh, it was oh my God. 3.5 to 1. And I think I bet something like 500, which was all that I had in my in my bank account. So you really, you really betted your money? Really bet your money? Yeah. Wow. Wow. That is... All right. I'm very impressed. <laughs> see, that's, see, that's why we need philosophers. Uh, because <laughs> philosophers have a good grasp of reality to the point where they can... <laughs> predict the Com- future. confidently predict the future to the point where they're willing to put their money money down <laughs> on it so so do you think that was an influence on your prediction like your philosophical expertise or was it more of like a, uh, were you looking I, at numbers i was i was mainly looking at the midwest mm. uh, and and like at how like you know the deindustrialized midwest those people are like blue dot Democrats, you know? Those are the type of people that can vote for Donald Trump. Yeah. Right. I am f- I'm from the Midwest, so... Yeah, so you I know what I mean. those people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I live here still sometimes, so... I'm, 
I'm around adult all the time. So that's that that was a I mean Minnesota I'm from Minnesota and Minnesota almost went red but just barely mm-hmm. you know voted for Hillary so it was very strange um it was I don't know it felt very polarized in Minnesota even like just like completely split down the middle yeah do you think there's anything that Joe Biden could do to win those people back that formerly were in the Democratic Party in the Midwest, now kind of on the fence? Yeah, that's that's a good question. But Joe Biden doesn't have to do anything. I mean, like, the best thing he can do is just, like, be the one who does nothing. You know, because... <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. If, if Trump presents, like, a program that is essentially negative, people are not going to... Like, Americans are optimists. They don't vote for, like... Someone who says he's got, he was robbed. Someone who says, like, it wasn't fair. They, but, like, in that sense, Biden would position himself as, like, better than that just by doing nothing. But Mm. if there's a positive program to Donald Trump, like, it's better than, like, the nothing that Biden is. Yeah, you know, it kind of feels like that's been Joe Biden's strategy basically yeah. forever is just be just do nothing and then like it, like sometimes it works out pretty well for him it seems so yeah we'll see um definitely excited to see kind of how they they approach it you know lots of people were saying joe biden shouldn't run for re-election because he's too old a valid concern in my opinion but you know truthfully it's kind of weird because he's only a little bit older than donald trump i mean donald trump obviously seems a little bit more uh, chaotic and energetic than Joe Biden. So I think that age gap seems more aggressive. And I I know like once you get, I know the difference between like 78 and 82, you know, it is, it is a, there is definitely a difference there, but we'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, And I'm sure you know, we'll we'll be posting a lot of good memes about it. Um, hopefully, yeah. If if Joe if Joe Biden if jo- if Joe Biden can <laughs> give us some good meme content, meme pages be like, how can I use this for a meme? Yeah, and if it's like a significant political event. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm excited. I hope you know, Ulysse. I hope I'm saying your name right. Do you use? I I feel like you make very good like debate memes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? With like yeah. with Wojaks and like <laughs> but that sort of thing. Anymore. Yes, the Yeah. So I feel like I'm excited because I'm sure you're gonna make some epic Wojak memes about Trump <laughs> and Biden battling at the debates. So I'm really excited for that. That'll that'll be the way I interpret the event because I probably I'll probably watch the debate, but mm. it'll be a nice companion. <laughs> But you know, like, yeah, what you're saying about the debates, it's like in 2020, people were not actually hyped about those debates. Whereas like in 2016, people were watching the fucking primaries, you know? Yeah. Right. Like, like with extreme thrill. Whereas in 2020, like people kind of did not care for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember it was just like, you know, we want Bernie Sanders to win the primary. He wasn't able to pull it off. And there was so many other candidates and all of them just 
I didn't care. Like, okay, it's not Bernie Sanders. I don't care who else it is. Just just as long as they beat Trump. And I, I wasn't nearly, exactly, not nearly as engaged as I was in, in 2016. So, um, yeah. Just, and I feel like by 2020, like people's spirits had been like kind of killed. COVID. Yeah. Well, I feel like people were apathetic, you know? Yeah. Increasingly yeah. so. Probably just like overwhelmed with the like amount of awful stuff happening in quick succession at least that's kind of how i felt so mm-hmm. yeah anyway so biden don't do anything Trump, <laughs> yeah. troll yourself yeah and then america will be epic i want to see uh i want to see joe biden walk out to the debate stage with a cape that's a, a Bud Light flag, and, yeah. uh, and and Donald Trump come out with a shirt that has the eagle that says "What happened," <laughs> and then that'll be <laughs> the, the debate. All right. Um, anything else before we move on to the next topic, which is going to be the Alice Glass discussion? I don't think so. All right. So I'm going to kind of walk through this Alice Glass drama so some of our listeners may know alice glass is a musician who was in the the project crystal castles and there's been a little bit of drama involving alice glass a hundred gex and alice gas there is a a musician that's lesser known named alice gas um that's actually but they've, they've been around since 2019 and the story actually starts a year ago with alice glass reaching out to Alice Gass, asking Alice Gass to change her name because, and I have the screenshot of the text messages here saying like, basically Alice Glass is saying it's like extremely insulting and extremely painful that Alice Gass would use quote unquote like Alice Glass's aesthetic like that and just diminish it saying like in the text messages is saying hey are you actually going to do that or whatever I'll go fuck myself lol do you even know what happened to me take my face too take my body too like very very aggressive um bring you know Alice Glass famously was in Crystal Castles a very influential music group from like a decade ago that that they had a very dramatic uh, break up because Alice Glass left the group and Alice Glass um, she she announced that she, that the the partner she was working with in broke uh, in Kristen Crystal Class Castles was abusive towards her physically mentally sexually so Alice Glass when asking Alice Gas was basically saying that Alice Gas by using Alice Glass's quote unquote aesthetic was hurting Alice Glass and also in Alice Glass's words hurting survivors and hurting survivors that look up to mm. Alice Glass. Um so I'm just gonna pause there and I'll finish this is the rest so of the convol- story. This is so convoluted. I know we're talking about Alice Gla- <laughs> Gas, Alice Glass. I'm just gonna yeah. go ahead and say right now, like my opinion, Alice Gas is a pretty funny name. And it obviously comes from like a, a lighthearted and friendly place. Uh, of a musician who looks up to Alice Glass, obviously is influenced by Alice Glass musically. Um, and I don't really see Alice Gass 
being a name that's that's hurtful. So, do, do, would you agree on with me or that, or is that am I, am I kind of out of line for that? There's more to the story. I just want to pause and let that sink in. Okay, so Alice Gas. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. What is her music actually like? It's like bubblegum bass, digi core. It's like very like contemporary kind of um like hyper pop. It's kind of right? hyper pop. Yeah, it's like kind of like hyper pop. Um it's not, you know, like it's, you know, Crystal Cross Crystal Castles and Alice Glass. Their music was very like industrial synth punk. So there's definitely a pretty, you know, there's definitely a difference in genres, but there's no doubt that industrial and synth punk played a pretty significant role in influencing digicore, uh, hyper pop, that kind of that kind of music. But it's definitely it's definitely pretty distinct from Alice Glass musically. I'd say the name actually I think is a pretty good. It captures it pretty well because it's like it it has that kind of uh, sort of abrasive weird. Humor. aspects of crystal Cla- castles but the gas part is like playful and dumb which is kind right. of fitting alice gas's music also, as well am i correct that her actual name is alice yes alice gas's real name is actually alice and whereas alice glasses is not alice glasses real name is margaret Okay. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, so Alice... I would change my name too if I was named Mark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so so Alice Gas responded to the text messages saying, "Hey, sorry, like I I look up to you. I just, you know, I'll change my name next project I release. Um I'm releasing another project in a month." Um and uh Alice Gas never does actually end up changing her project. Um, it's been a year now. So, you know, I do want to say, though, asking an artist who's a smaller artist and is finally getting, you know, established to change their name is a really large thing to ask because you're, that their name, Alice Gass, like has a lot of value. It has like a reputation they finally have built up where people know that name. They finally have a discography. So I think it's kind of strange that Alice Glass took insult to the fact that someone named themselves Alice Gass. And I think it's a really, really big thing to ask, to ask an artist to change their name, especially when they're a small artist who's finally kind of up and coming and getting attention. And um, obviously bringing the fact up that Alice Glass is a survivor of abuse and and saying, you know, that other survivors um, are insulted by Alice Glass's name. I, I think that's kind of a reach and to me kind of feels a little bit manipulative, like you're kind of grabbing at that as like a tool to try to get someone to change their name but but what's the connection between like what's the connection between the name and abuse i i don't get that yeah i don't think there is a connection but i think alice glass was basically just trying to say like that's like a part of her identity i don't really i did i don't you know i agree there's not really connection there but anyways fast forward to a year to today to this week which is why we're talking about this story um, and I know this is a very convoluted story, so I just want to <laughs> please stop me if it gets confusing because I don't want the listeners to get confused. So anyways, 100 Gex, a hyper-pop artist, <laughs> plays, a show, yeah. plays a show with Alice Gass. And Alice Glass DMs 100 Gex saying, how would you feel 
if I played a show with a band called A Hundred Geckos, you know. <laughs> they and, would not care. <laughs> yeah, they would not care. They said, it's disrespectful as hell. And then she said, imagine if I wasn't abused as a kid. I wouldn't even be making this music. I, I just don't know because, like, a lot of people have suffered abuse and yeah. respond to it in their own way. Not, I don't want to speculate on Alice Gass's, like, life, but, I mean, who's to say, like, sh- hypothetically, like, what if an artist was using humor and, you know, bubblegum bass to, like, heal their own, you know, yeah. experience, you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, there's no logical connection between the name and... Yeah, so if, if a philosopher says there's no logic connect- logical connection, <laughs> no, 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 then no, there's... But- <laughs> I didn't mean it like like, like yeah that. yeah 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 and you know it's it's definitely disappointing to see Alice Glass you know come after yeah, I, Alice I like, Gas like, like this. I like some of her music too. Yeah, and the other thing too I want to say is th- th- we know about this because the conversations that Alice Glass was having with Alice Gas a year ago, she was screenshotting those text messages with Alice Gas. And posting it to her own story. And then the conversation with 100 Gex, not only did she DM 100 Gex, she screenshotted the DMs to 100 Gex and posted it to her yeah, story. That seems like something you should keep private. Like, if Alice Glass genuinely really feels like the, sat- the satirical name really bothers her and wants Alice Gass, wanted Alice Gass to change it, you know, I think if Alice Gass was asked very nicely, Alice Gass looking up to Alice Glass would have like absolutely done it maybe not i don't know that was a hard one to talk through but you know i know a lot of our audience likes alice glass a lot of our audience likes 100 gex and a lot of our audience likes alice gas and this was really upsetting and weird yeah it is it is i yeah i i agree i don't really see any reason for alice glass to be reacting as she is right now i guess and i i i don't know i don't want to be dismissive of her experiences or anything like that but i don't know i think this is something that should have been handled privately mm-hmm. and i also think that um especially considering that her name is alice like in real life that she should be able to that there are so many bands and artists who have parody names you know yeah, so many. it's very com- It's very common for artists to name themselves, name their songs, mm-hmm. name their albums. Yourself is Fire. My album is actually named after another band's album, uh, Yourself is Steam. So it's it's very extremely common. It's like a way of showing appreciation and respect. You know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and yeah, you know, I do want to also, you know, just we don't know exactly the ins and outs of Alice Glass, Alice Gas, everything. I do want to say though, Alice Gas did go through many, many years of pretty serious abuse while in Crystal Castles. So not saying that ex- that excuses the way Alice Glass is behaving right now, but, you know, she could be very, very traumatized, and that makes her kind of see these situations, you know, not able to handle these situations very appropriately, or at least could be contributing. So just, you know, an additional yeah. thought I just hope things get. Re- I, I hope things get resolved in a peaceful manner <laughs> yeah alice gas seems to be just kind of keeping her mouth shut about it and you know it's just like not really engaging with it um and i agree like alice gas to me on tw- i see i follow her on twitter and everything she seems like super nice and doesn't want any conflict so kind of a weird situation um we'll see how we'll see how it shakes out 
that's all I have to say. Anything else before we move into our, our last news topic, and then we'll dive into some epic philosophy questions for Ulis. Um, I don't have anything. Okay. Last news topic is on Twitter and Elon Musk. We I feel like we talk about this every week, but that's only because there's a new update every single week. So... Um, this week, all the the blue check marks on like celebrities and stuff went away completely, and to no one's surprise, no celebrity or anyone with a blue check mark has opted into paying for the blue check mark because at this point, the blue check mark literally just means I am a fool who has decided to give Elon Musk money for no reason. So a lot of celebrities. <laughs> who can afford it are not paying it because it's actually at this point to have a blue check mark is actually a bad thing. It's actually an yeah. embarrassing. It's like a, it's a, it's a badge it's of good, shame. It's got, yeah. it's not good PR for you. It, it looks like you're endorsing Elon. Exactly. So what Elon Musk did, this was, I think yesterday, actually, this is just every single day. There's a new thing. Elon Musk forced all accounts with over a hundred or I'm sorry, over a million followers to have a blue check mark and they all appeared and throughout all day yesterday there was a bunch of celebrities and famous people tweeting uh i didn't pay for this blue check mark i would never pay money to elon musk this was just forced upon me uh and elon musk was in the replies fighting with people like fighting with celebrities making fun of them for not wanting to want wanting the blue check mark but on the on their Twitter accounts, if you hovered over the blue check mark, it says this user has the check mark because they've paid for Twitter Blue, and of course they got a tweet. I'm not actually doing that. This is weird, um, and you know a little bit disturbingly, a lot of famous people who have passed away, like Kobe Bryant um, and many others, they also had the blue check mark appear, which is very disturbing to see like this check mark that indicates they're paying for something that they're not appear on the profile of people who have passed away so whatever i think the main takeaway of this though is that elon musk is clearly getting desperate he just tries something every week like, he's he trying he's trying uh because clearly as everybody was predicting elon if you're only giving blue check marks to people who pay then the blue check mark is not going to be cool anymore and no one's going to pay for it. That's exactly that played out exactly as he expected. So I'm I think he's trying to like increase the associated value of the blue check mark by forcing the blue check mark onto celebrities. But celebrities with over a million followers who who are forced to have it, they're able to get rid of it by changing their name on Twitter, which automatically gets rid of it. But Elon Musk has been like tracking some people down who have done that and have like reinst reinstated it onto them. So like he is literally like go like hunting down celebrities who are trying to get rid of it and putting it back onto them. No, but it's it looks very stupid if you assume that like Elon Musk is trying to turn a profit, you know, out of Twitter. You know, because clearly think about it, like the check marks, what are they worth? Like eight dollars a month but you know amount like that amount with like all the like let's say active users that's not that's nowhere like near enough for twitter to start like making profit 
And of course, Elon knew that from like the get go. Like, of course, they did like they did their analysis uh, of like what they could get out of Twitter, and they knew that. I I don't think the checkmark thing is about money. I think I think Elon Musk has like genuine resentment against the fact against like literally cultural capital. Yeah. Against yeah against those like what they call like the coastal elites. I think he genuinely has some insecurities regarding them, and he's willing to pay forty-five billion dollars to literally like try to humiliate them in public yeah that's exactly what i think too except expressed more eloquently yeah it's very interesting because it seems like he has like he has conflict i think he's a person who probably has just like a lot of conflicting feelings because I completely agree that he has this like ideological commitment to trying to troll and harass coastal elites who have clout on Twitter, woke capital, whatever you want to call it, the the liberal elites. And he has that ideological commitment to try to troll them. But I do think he I I do think you know you're right. He pr- he probably did the math and the $8 a month thing. Like that's not going to make him a profit. But you know, he also you know, I I do think there probably has got to be a part of him too that is um, anxious about the fact that he's losing money, and I don't I don't I think he's too like committed to his like alt right ideology to to be able to like make Twitter profitable because making Twitter profitable would require um basically making Twitter how it was before and making it like advertiser friendly and basically letting the liberal elites, you know, thrive on Twitter to make Twitter a place people actually want to go on and advertise on. So his his conflict is like the the two interests are just completely opposed between making money and also satisfying his uh, ideological fantasies. No, I agree. But that only works if you assume that Elon Musk's libertarianism is genuine. Because if Elon Musk just bought the platform in order to like hand it over to like rebel rousers and reactionaries uh, before the 2024 election, in, in order, like if he bought the platform in order to remove moderation and allow the kind of climate that you had in 2015 and that to basically put the Republican Party in power at the presidency and then like be in the position of an ally of the presidency in order like to get like boons for his businesses, then it kind of makes some sense with like the general chaos that is unfolding and like if you grasp what he's doing like that it's kind of logical i i well i think i think i see what you're saying i just i think that if you are tr- if if elon musk is truly committed to whatever his ideology is libertarian alt right fascist whatever it is right wing just wants to be friends with Trump and get tax cuts, whatever, wherever he falls. I do just, I kind of sense that there's like a little bit of 
incompetence by the way he's going about it. I feel like a more subtle approach of yeah. like playing the game like most business people do is probably more effective than what he's doing. I feel like there is like just a layer of un- incompetence kind of across. But he's a brand. He, he Elon Musk, he's a brand. He's not an actual like businessman. He's just a brand, you know? It's yeah, like it's true. like the Kardashian, you know. Uh, yeah. and he's actually a fucking genius at what he's doing. For us, he appears as cringe, but for like tons of people, like that brand is actually pretty attractive. And yeah, those true. are the people he wants to convince. He doesn't want to convince us that like he's nice. We're not his audience. Yeah, and the, the, the chaotic approach he's taking to Twitter fits perfectly in his brand of being a little bit kooky, a little bit crazy, trying things that don't make sense. But um, somehow, you know, over and over again, because of how strong his brand is, it pays off in the long run. So I think that's a very good point that maybe we shouldn't underestimate Elon Musk, even though he seems like a complete dumbass and he's made Twitter a worse app. Yeah, yeah and- because he his businesses, they run on government subsidies, right? They don't, like, all of Elon Musk's businesses, they really run on, on like, on subsidies. And, he, like, he says he's a libertarian and against the state, et cetera, et cetera. But that's, like, literally part of the brand. It's just, like, ideology. It's not real. He needs, like, a, an executive that is able to give him those subsidies. And... It's clear that it's to his advantage if that is like the kind of alt-right Republicans that are pretending to be anti-state while like uh, using taxpayer money to inject back into their own uh, economic project. That's a very good point. Because back in uh, 2000, I think 2009, after the financial crisis, the Obama administration did give um, a pretty substantial loan, um, a subsidized loan to Tesla. And yeah. back And back then, it, back then, Elon Musk loved Obama and was openly a Democrat. But uh, Joe Biden, this, yeah, exactly. He was. He, he was, was like, within that like culture. Yeah. This is the culture that gave birth to the alt right. It's like, you know, American atheism. Yeah. Yep. The, the, uh, the, the kind of, I don't know exactly the right way to put it. Maybe slightly more kind of like conspiracy theory, white guy, you know, who, uh, yeah, yeah. Who, uh, was at one point a Democrat, but now is, um, you know, more associated and more interested in the alt-right. So, yeah, I think that's a good point. It could very well be that Trump right now is is playing the game just to um, build out, build up more clout and more more kind of uh, political and social capital amongst the right wing, which he, he absolutely is. So that's a good point. Let's not underestimate Elon Musk because uh, he, ha- he is very successful and, yeah, he's he, he could be playing a longer game than we realize. Or not. He could just... Or not. Be, yeah, he, he could actually be fucking stupid. 
Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. It's honestly something Sophie and I debate all the time. Like, what is wrong? What, what is going on with Elon Musk? Is he just dumb? Is he just blinded by his right-wing ideology? Or is he playing all of us like puppets? So but we'll you see. know, yeah, but in the movie, like Glass Onion, like, you know, at the end, when, when like, the guy's plan is so fucking dumb, and, like, the girl is like, this is so dumb, it's genius. And, and like, the, uh, the, the detective says, no, it's just fucking dumb. Like, with Elon Musk, you don't know if, like, you don't know which one it is. Yeah, that is a great, that's yes. a great point. Is, is, okay, is, question, is, gla- is, there, is Glass Onion a, a woke film? Yeah, it's, it's actually pretty woke. Is it based? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the first one, the first one is like too. It's like too try hard, you know. It's like, it's like we're gonna get those, those people on the East Coast, like this East Coast, this, these people LARPing as old money on the East Coast, and we're gonna show like the reality, of like how their social position functions, which is like not as they pretend it is and is actually inauthentic and that's like layered like so intensively you know that it's not believable okay i don't think i have seen the first one I didn't see Kai, the first one, but he ha- I, Kyle hasn't seen Kyle and I watched the second one together, but he I've seen the first one he hasn't all right, so, so can he, we let's honestly, I feel like this is a good time to pivot into the the conversations the about fun part woke brutalism uh what what is let's, yeah brutalism? let's start there can you define it i i i probably could but <laughs> i think it's i think i think like what's interesting about it is how like problematic the term is right like it's when you hear it you're like what the fuck does that mean and in a sense that's like what makes it interesting Mm. is to actually figure out like as the dynamic movement of thought what woke brutalism actually means and like there's this incredible quote by this guy called novelist who says and i and i'm it's because i have it under my eyes right now for some reason yeah and and it's no but actually and it's that quote where he says the amplified object of the title or the amplified title (laughs) is the book the text of the book begins with the explication of a title Uh... (laughs) all right so could you repeat that again (laughs) so he says the amplified object of the title or the amplified title is the book the text of the book begins with the explication of the title. That makes sense. And like, yeah. So in our case, like that title is Woke Brutalism, which like asks, like, it's, it's like a contradiction or at least like a tension, but it asks of you to think like, what is wokeness and what is brutalism? And what do they mean when they're brought together? So, okay, so can we can we do that then? What 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 do you think what do you think wokeness is? Well, 
Well, I mean, maybe these are maybe these are things we just got to buy the book and read because these are pretty big questions. I, I think we can skip what is wokeness because unlike brutalism, pretty much everyone has, like, even if it's not, like, very developed, pretty much everyone knows what we mean when we talk about wokeness. All right. Yeah. Then let's, yeah. let's go right into... Like... <laughs> <laughs> the second word then <laughs> yeah, yeah no but brutalism is actually uh, a fascinating thing so but, so as you know brutalism is an architectural theory but it's like at its outset it goes beyond uh, architecture and it's immediately uh, a theory that basically applies to everything when to all forms of production um, and the way I would like, I could grasp it historically as like the way it emerges against like new empiricism and new humanism, but that would be too long. So like brutalism is the way that you build something where everything that you use, you use it for a function and the function is like the materiality of what you use. So like if when you build a building through like brutalism, you do not use anything that does not have an immediate function in the general structure of the building. That is to say there's there's basically no there is nothing that is just appearance. There's nothing that is like just to make it look good. Everything that you do has to contribute to the structure of the edifice yeah it's very interesting because there's it, it, there is definitely a uh, immediate like contrast between like woke which to me without diving into what wokeness means i just it feels like a very soft word and then brutalism is obviously a much like harder more mechanical word like th there's definitely like the the opposites kind of colliding there so so would you say we were like living in an era of woke brutalism is woke brutalism like a goal or something you we we should aspire for like i guess what do you, what do you kind of make well, attention or like what what it is that is so interesting as a question so uh basically the way the way i see it is that you know you had like one of the chapters in a book is called the millennial subject and it's about the subject like what does it mean to be someone as like they experience the world for a millennial right and like what i say in that chapter is basically the millennial subject is like this fucking abyss of death that never can get out of itself because everything that it experiences it experiences it like narratively which is like most dramatically expressed by the expression uh, main character syndrome, right? So, like, and, and the millennial subject is like a pure dead end, which is like contained in the hipster, basically, because the hipster is supposed to be like this super individual, authentic person, but at the same time, they're all alike, as everyone knows, as like everyone used to joke, but that contradiction within the hipster is a contradiction in general within the logic of authenticity 
and subjectivity. And like the aporia, the fact that like it, you cannot go any further within the logic of the millennial subject, that aporia, which is basically like the failure of Dime Square and basically the outright, like the quest for authenticity through transgression, that is like the end of the millennial subject. And once that happens, you have to move into something else. And what happens after that is what I call like the brutalist effectivity instead of like the millennial subjectivity. And the brutalist effectivity is what you have like in Wednesday and in Avatar 2, <laughs> Sorry. No, I'm, I was going to ask about Avatar 2, so I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah, but I think it's more important to think about because Avatar has all those like niceties regarding like colonials and, and, and like uh, the trans experience, etc. That need that that make it so that it's harder to approach Avatar as like this very concrete example of brutalist effectivity. But it's like much easier when you go the Wednesday route. <laughs> hmm. This sounds really interesting. I actually really like this because yeah, this is something I've thought a lot about, which is like. I mean, there's actually a lot to unpack, and it's it is a little confusing, but I I do I do my, my like let I'm gonna try to try to like say this back to you and tell me if what I'm saying is kind of what you're thinking. So there's kind of this paradox in the millennial hipster, which uh yeah that like is ultimately kind of embodied in sort of like the dime square hipster and like the alt-right millennial that isn't really resolved. And then that's kind of now we're kind of moving to possibly like the next phase, which is what will... Nah, yeah, but what you're saying is very interesting because we, we, we the way we have, I, I think, to see it is not as like a continuous becoming, you know, because you have like the millennial subject and like what I'm trying to say is like the brutalist affectivity does not evolve as like the sublation of, of like millennial subjectivity is not, it is not like the, like it's higher stage or like it does not arise from that. There is an, apor an aporia at the end of millennial subjectivity that it cannot go further and then something radically new that has nothing to do with it suddenly appears you know gotcha interesting so my you know my first impression i gotta dive into the book but my first impression is i think i like woke brutalism like i think i want mm. to embrace woke brutalism yeah of course because it's the good thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah because i because I, I like wokeness and yeah. I also like the the practicality and mm -hmm. honestly even the aesthetics of brutalism. Yeah, and, and, and like for example, your your brand is a woke brutalist brand. It's like Punk Revolution Now. It's like what? Punk Revolution Now is the the brand. Yeah. Um, that's a woke brutalist brand. Oh because my gosh, like, Kyle, congrats. Because yeah, because it's like you actually want to be able to say those things and it's not so it's not actually ironic 
you know? It's mm-hmm. not within the millennial logic of irony because, like, it's not criticizing the utterance. It's, it's just placing it in this over-the-top, like, situation of enunciation where you can actually say those things. And that's like Wednesday Adam, you know? Mm. Can you explain how Wednesday achieves that? Wait, 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 wait. So we're going to, we're going to, we're going to get, we're going to get into, we're going to get into that. But I've always, I've said this to Sophie that, and I, I, I feel like I've, I've said this to Sophie and now, now I can say it more confidently that I feel like you and your philosophy and your page yeah has like understands punk revolution now better than yes. anything else, anyone else yes, definitely. <laughs> and and now i feel justified you have the, vo- in you have the vocabulary that. you have the vocabulary to articulate it <laughs> all right let's go let's talk more about well it, well, it, well uh, okay so i feel really stupid right now because i'm dumb but um am i correct in saying like in this like woke brutalist interpretation of punk revolution now um, are you saying that, like, what Kaio is doing isn't really a character, but it provides him a a, a way it's, it's, that he can express something he actually, like, kind of believes? You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I know exactly what you is mean. Is that what you're saying? And Yeah, that's what I'm saying, but, okay. like, in, in a different way. Mm. Because think about, like, Wednesday Adams right yeah like obviously she's playing a character a character right but at the Mm -hmm. same time she's not you know it's like there's there's it it like the way we would see wednesday adams is Mm -hmm. like oh she's it's kind of a larp you know Mm -hmm. but at the same time there's no longer a distinction Mm -hmm. because it's not ironic like what she's like oh, it's just okay. how she is that is taken to like its maximum yeah in order that she can just be like that beyond any possible reproach mm. that makes sense that makes like, sense and i think she's that's, beyond critique that's what kayo does basically. so i have a question what do you what do you make though of and i'm sure you've had this like critique thrown at you but what do you make of um, the fact that a lot of woke brutalism um, is being like manufactured by capital and capitalism? That like Avatar Two, Wednesday, wokeness in general, woke capital as you want to call it, or I, I we can call it. Like, does that is that like concerning? Should we be concerned that it's like? No, it's not concerning. Uh, only, only. Like someone who larps as authentic can find that concerning because they assume that there is something outside of capital, that capital has an outside, like that there is some authenticity outside of capital, but there is not. There, there, like capital does not have an outside, like, there's no lifestyle or like authentic way of being that is outside of capital that just doesn't exist like and once you assume that 
you understand what once it's not assuming that it's realizing that once you realize that there's no authenticity outside of capital that like literally everything is fucking inauthentic once you realize that and you think you see people who claim authenticity you know who claim they're authentic and then you see that what is actually recuperated by capital is the claim to authenticity is the claim to be outside of capital what capital really markets uh in the postmodern era is anti-capitalism like that is the true like that is the true capitalist stance to adopt it's to pretend to be outside of capital because you're not i i i agree with that i definitely agree i've definitely been in some frustrating uh, Twitter threads. I'll just put it. I'll, yeah, we'll just. <laughs> that's basically where a lot of these conversations are happening. Obviously, where I, I am, um, see, I am seeing things that I genu- generally like and approve of be dismissed by certain people because it is like a product of capitalism and capitalism. But that's completely stupid because everything because there's nothing yeah that's not a product of exactly and it's it's, 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 a, it's a way of just kind of dismissing literally anything you want you know any I, I i am an industry plant and i'm into industry plants and i'm not gonna <laughs> pretend otherwise because there's nothing but industry plants like there's nothing else interesting uh, okay so if you're an interest industry plant who who planted you <laughs> No, of course. I mean, capital, but like, (laughs) (laughs) no, but no, but this is for real because there's this incredible quote by Marx uh, in uh, uh, results of the direct production process where he says, it's really good. He says, you know, capital issues from itself as a self positive subject, as the actual subject of history, which is to say, like, when someone says, like, Oh, that person is an industry plant, which means they're inauthentic. And that means, mm. like, me, the person issuing that statement, I am the authentic subject. Mm. What does that mean, authentic? It means basically self-positive. But the fact is, no one is self-positive. Like, people are posited by capital as, like, the reproduction of living means of production. There's this nothing that's authentic at this point i kind of feel like what you're saying is very true i feel like everything you're saying is completely true and i feel like people are too scared to say this stuff (laughs) i really feel like people are too scared to say it because it because it's i think people are still trying to hold on to the illusion or the myth that it's possible to like be authentic in like in the kind of like outside capitalism sort of way even though no it's completely impossible even like ted kaczynski he like his existence was still tied to flows of capital interesting okay so i you just brought up marx i wanted to i want to ask you some opinions about because like i you know i've i've read marx i've read some you know some philosophers but not a ton and i want to i want to ask so could you first talk about 
Marx and what you think of Marx. And then Sophie and I want to know about Kant because you've referenced Kant. Oh, yeah. And Hegel and Hegel. I, I study oh. history, so I'm interested. Mm. So that's, yeah, like, I know that's kind of a, like a, I mean. A lot. I, yeah, I guess we yeah. can talk about, like, those three how philosophers. About for, like, how about Kant? for, like, 10 I can, minutes? No, but I cannot, like, I don't, I feel like at this point, I don't have, like, intelligent stuff to say about Hegel. Mm. I, I, I may have one or two good things, like, two interesting things to say about Hegel, but I I am nowhere, like, near the point where I can actually, like, say stuff about Hegel that's actually worth saying. Mm. Yeah, that's where we are, except even yeah. way f- way further than you. <laughs> so yeah. that's why that's why we're asking. But we can we can start with um. Let's start with Kant. Yeah. Okay. So wh- what is what is Kant's like? Like, what's the what's he getting at? Like, what's like? It's 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 like I, I get a little confused because <laughs> it's like very metaphysical. It seems I don't really see like what are the insights that Kant has, and like what do you like about Kant? Well, 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 that's kind of like not actually a question so i'm gonna like do a bit of your job and i'm gonna like narrow it down okay thank to you something thank you. precise that i can answer and like and I'm, I'm and i'm gonna give the example of what i do in a book that you've actually ordered which is technically men dwells of what i do with Kant in that mm-hmm. book perfect thank so, you so yes <laughs> yeah so Kant, he's like usually like there's this general dislike of Kant because people have a certain set of assumptions about what Kant is doing, what he's attempting, and like why he's attempting it. And those assumptions are basically the academic reception of Kant. And like that has to do literally with like the conditions within which academia produces like texts and knowledge. It conditions a certain type of reception. And like, for that reason, when you apply that to Kant, you get a certain reception, which is indeed like that of a philosopher that's not that interesting to read and that you cannot do anything with it now. But if you kind of like, as Wallace Stevens says, wipe all of that away like a streak of mud and like you get straight to Kant and you don't go in there with like presumptions like Forteilung about what's gonna be like in Kant, like what's Kant's system and what is he doing. If you like get rid of that and you go straight into Kant, you will see it's fucking insane. It's like he is like one of the most creative, inventive philosophers. Like he's up there with Plato. It's it's completely crazy what he's doing. And me, for what I'm doing, it's like the fact that Kant, people often imagine that Kant is the guy who thinks the subject, right? And nothing could be further from the truth because Kant, he's like, actually the philosopher who truly gets rid of the subject by like splitting it apart. And that's like what we call the Kantian cogito, which is like, I, I talk about that uh, in my book, which is the fact that for Kant, thought is non-existential. You know, for Descartes, I think, therefore I am. Kant shows that this is untrue. 
that like when you say I think therefore I am what you're really saying is I am thinking therefore I am it's not I think therefore I am it's I am in the state of thinking therefore I am which means that the statement is actually just I am therefore I am and above like above that you have thinking so what controls like thought is non-existential that's like that's the largest fucking that's one of the biggest statements like next to like god is dead and you know and stuff like that it's like the statement thought is not existential that you have in count it's so fucking powerful because it rips apart the subject because you're no longer like this unity that is thinking there's just you like and this stream of thought that's affecting you and you don't know what is what it is that is thinking in you hmm i think that's very very helpful honestly because now you've got me interested in in reading kant um <laughs> how you how you said to which is just to kind of go in and appreciate him as a creative thinker uh rather than going in with my kind of uh maybe academic ideas of what Kant is and how it's not, you know, scientific or whatever, because it's metaphysical mm -hmm. or whatever. And instead, I should just kind of go in and appreciate um, his ability to, it sounds like, just kind of like deconstruct everything. Um, yeah, Kant, he's like, but there's two things in Kant. There's what you just, like, said. He, he like, because he's the guy who invents critique, you know, he's, he's the thinker of critique. And what is that critique? Critique, what it does is that it determines the area. Like, it, it's like, it's, it's about planes, you know. It, it determ determines the area within which you are within your right to do something. That's what critique does. And, like, it says, like, what's the, the area within which reason can think? And what's, like, the area that when it gets out of bounds, like, it does not rightfully think. And like what we call metaphysics, like let's say transcendence, like Kant says, that's a space of non-reason. That's like outside of the space within which reason is in its rightful space. And like, so like the immortality of the soul, whether you have free will, whether God exists, Kant says that stuff, it's like not within the boundaries of reason. And it's like, he's, basically making this limit but the way he makes this limit is in order it's actually like not to positive like it's not to place it negatively he's not trying to establish that like like what what is called problematic in Kant, which means like passes the bounds of possible experience the stuff that you cannot have an experience of he's not saying like it's negative in a sense it's non-reason he means it's different from reason, right? And that's that's really important as a distinction. And what he's really doing, he says, like, what he's really doing is the fact that he receives. Kant, that's what, it's what is incredible about him. He says, I receive freedom as a fact of reason, you know? But I have no experience of freedom. Which is to say, like, when you do something... You have the experience of doing the thing. You don't have the experience of freedom. And yet, like, this freedom is like a fact. Right? 
and it passes the boundaries of experience, which means that for Kant, like it's the like fact of freedom. It's it's like freedom that sets the critical project in motion, and that that it receives some practical reason and speculative reason. Then tries to understand like how do I have freedom, which like basically it all begins and like it keeps within this it stays within the space of freedom and it makes freedom problematic that's what kant is doing i think gotcha all right um Can I ask some questions yeah let's yeah go ahead so okay these are very miscellaneous questions so forgive me number one can you ex can you explain why everything and everywhere all at once is fascist oh yeah i can actually do that okay <laughs> thank you i'm interested though. <laughs> okay so there's one uh, like first of all there's something like which is inherently like bad in everything everywhere all at once and it is like the fact that there's a multiverse mm -hmm. because the notion of a multiverse is like so fucking wrong on so many levels mm. for the simple reason that it introduces multiplicity within unity like like multiplicity is literally the internal logic of the commodity form right like capitalist ideology is like the ideology of absolute multiplicity which is for example with the commodity like a multiplicity of self-same bottles of coke you know mm -hmm. like that's the ideology like i would say like the framework of capitalist ideology is basically the implication of identity and multiplicity you know where like the the commodity form cannot be thought as a unity it has to be thought as an identical multiplicity and like what the movie everywhere all at once does is that it starts with like this multiplicity of universes mm -hmm. and you know the way the commodity form like recollects multiplicity is under the logic of you uh, of identity right so like the identical bottle of coke of which there's like billions mm -hmm. and that's that's like the proper way that like liberalism liberalism and like capitalism operate and then you have the logic of fascism which is like different in the logic of fascism the the thing is for fascism you keep the mode of production of capitalism that is that is to say you're still a capitalist when you're a fascist you you're not threatening capital in any way but the difference is that the logic of multiplicity that you have proper to capitalism is recollected under personal identity that's that's the difference you know mm. in in a capitalist country you recollect the multiplicity under the logic of the commodity in a fascist uh, nation you will recollect multiplicity under the logic of subjective identity uh 
like I'm an Aryan or like I'm a, like a, an Italian uh, cre- recreating the Roman Empire, stuff like that. And that is the, the, the internal logic of fascism, which is how it relates multiplicity to identity. And if you watch actually everything everywhere all at once, that's exactly the logic that it adopts for thinking the multiplicity of universes. It's, it's, it's like submitting them to the identity of the petit bourgeois subject as like the thing that manages to recollect all of this multiplicity. Interesting. Okay. Thank you. I wasn't sure, but that, that clarified. That, that, that really, <laughs> that really clarified. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. um, yeah. And then I have another question. What do you, what do you think about philosopher fan fiction, like ships, like gay fan fiction, but using philosophers? But that's pretty cool. I, uh, that's pretty cool. do you ever do it do you like uh what do you think of no i don't okay do you read it ever i mean i mean most of philosophers like the philosopher that i really study for Mm -hmm. me that's plato right and plato is that is already queer you know right 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 right. so i don't need to add the fan fiction you know it's it's like there's entire queer dialogues about like Mm -hmm. about like queer desire etc so right I, i i've never felt that need you know that makes, that makes Wait, sense. Wait, did <laughs> out of curiosity, did Plato write about queer desire? Yeah, I didn't know that. They didn't. Te- they didn't. Yeah, they didn't this... teach me that in college. There's good information here. Yeah, there's this dialogue called like I think in English it's called the they keep close to the Greek. It's called the symposium at the banquet, and like it's basic. It's basically like what is assumed in the banquet is. Like they're they're trying to think love and they're trying to think beauty, but like it's assumed that like it's homosexual. Hmm. Like that's the starting assumption. It's like never even a question because it's men talking, but it's never even a question that like they could be attracted to women. And there's something like deeply patriarchal that should be maybe like examined within the, that logic but like it's it's very clear in the symposium that like if you if you take like aristophanes within the dialogue he's the one who says like he, he's the one who says like homosexual love is like actually really superior and they like make yeah, the distinction yeah, yeah, yeah. i've seen that I've yeah seen that. yeah yeah between like demotic aphrodite I, I don't know how it's pronounced in english aphrodite Aphrod- Aphrodite. Yes. They 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 have the one they call like pandemos, mm-hmm. uh, or like y- you know the one for the people, and then you have the the what they call Uranian Aphrodite, and that's like the one which is like for homosexual love, which is like the one that's like Uranian means like in in heaven. Interesting. So this is fascinating to me. So, but yeah. Do you do you think this can be applied to? to um like lesbianism i mean for like because i there's, there's you're such not a lack gonna of, find that in plato in my understanding there's such a like lack of um early literature about that i mean there's everyone talks about sappho but beyond that yeah there's sappho yeah how what do you how do you feel about sappho uh, she's the reason that I even like 
began learning Greek. Really? Yeah. She, like, Sappho's poetry mm-hmm. is really, really fucking good. Yeah. Like, I've in, read it. in I've... Greek. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, like, very fucking beautiful. And the dialect that she speaks, which is, like, Aeolian Greek, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's so beautiful as a dialect. Mm. So how many how many languages do you speak then? I don't know. <laughs> you don't know. Oh my god. Like but it depends like if you mean speaking like okay. or like can you like parse it? Can you read it, you know? Okay. How about speaking? Like speaking. I don't like fluently speak Italian, but I like fluently read it. Mm-hmm. Uh so I wouldn't count that. I don't know what to do with it. Uh let's say like Five, I think. Wow. Damn. Do you know any um, non-Western languages? Ancient Greek. Oh. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, there you go. No, I speak Japanese, so. Oh, for real? Yeah, I do. Actually, studying... I always wanted to learn it. You should learn it. I'm. You should. I'm, I'd be interested. Um, I study. I'm finishing. I'm about to go into my senior year of school. Um. In college um and i'm studying um japanese history like imperial japan mm. so that's pretty cool i wanted to learn japanese but i was like the people in the classroom they're gonna be the absolute worst <laughs> oh yeah exactly that's that's kind <laughs> of where i'm at right now because <laughs> i'm in a class of um i'm the only no there's two girls in the class and then the rest are men um and you, you can kind of imagine what that might be like they're all weebs or they're they're not all of them are weebs some of them are actually like half japanese (laughs) it's oh okay but no 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 no. but most most of them are weebs though most of them are weebs and the weebs kind of get filtered out because i'm in a more advanced level of japanese now so like they start falling through the cracks because they can't keep up but there are some some weebs still remain but there are less cringe weebs but (laughs) if that makes sense um yeah. So, but even still, it, it's very isolating being the only woman in the, like, there's another gr- woman, but <laughs> there's, like, no other women, and I, I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't like being in rooms of all men, especially if it's a Japanese class. Um, yeah, that's, that's what I always assume. It's what, it was that, like, if I was going to study Japanese, mm-hmm. it was going to be, like, with the literal worst men on the planet. Yeah. Like, concentrated <laughs> in one room. Yeah, basically. That's true, that's true. And that applies to the history courses as well, so... Um, Sophie especially, like, fastest Japan. Yeah. Sophie basically has an, a, a new story every day to share to me about some some weird guy or something happening in Japanese class, so... Yeah, every day, like... Yeah. <sighs> I honestly, I don't know how much, how much do you know about Japanese history? I don't know. I read some, some, uh, Okioe literature mm-hmm. that I like really much like, uh, which is like basically the 17th and the 18th century. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know much. I, I, about the history of stuff. I just read like one or two novels from like, uh, what's his name again? The guy who who says like the who wrote like the Mirror of Male Love, 
and like oh uh, yes, yes, yes i don't know who wrote it but i know what you're referring to that's that's like i read like that's a little early for me is in history so i i like okay. i'm more interested in like modern japan but i know so after the restoration about. Yeah, have you seen those? Have you, the Meiji Yabe? Um, have you seen uh, so the male love stuff? The, uh, I love how we're getting into gay stuff again. Um, <laughs> the the art is quite explicit, and it, it reminds it. It's you. Would you agree that it's very comparable to like the like man to boy love in Greece? Yeah, it's really comparable. It com- is. Yeah, I to, know. To I noticed that like way. in high school. Yeah, I noticed that in high school, and I was like very fascinated by it just the parallels of that really interesting um and also like the early like understanding and discussion of um like gay like homosexual of course gay is not really the right word to use but like homosexual relationships even a homosexual is like not the right thing because yeah yeah true that's not that's not how like it because when we of, say yeah. homosexual it wasn't yeah, it's not, not it wasn't an identity at the time it wasn't like an identity it was more like an act right yeah in greece at least yeah no that's but that's, it's subtle. that's true that's true it, because there's so much criticism of it mm-hmm. like even within plato there's praise of it within plato plato is clearly deep in it but there's also like this critique of it within plato and it centers on like the power imbalance, which like in a very, very woke way, I think Plato identifies something abusive within like uh, Right. And that's Because what... today that would be illegal. What, exactly, like, yeah. From this when we talk about Greek homosexuality, yeah, we're talking about something that today would be called pedophilia. Exactly, you know? yeah, exactly. So it is really interesting that like most of the like documentation or literature art is pedophilic by our like modern standards and it you know it to me and like even I know I'm like someone from like the modern world but I I obviously am like kind of disgusted by it (laughs) because it's a child it's just like so deeply foreign to yeah. our way of like yeah like when you look at like vase paintings of yeah, like the vase paintings are crazy yeah it's there's two i would say there's two types there's one that's like erotic or like not yeah. not erotic but like pornographic yeah which yeah. is not not pedophilic and and then there's the ones that that are like socially inscribed which means like they're actually showing like social relations of like like let's say traditionalized relations between like a man and a boy yeah. and those are completely insane when you look yeah, at like yeah, yeah, yeah. like just just like the size difference and stuff like that it's yeah it's, it's just crazy it's the same in and plato Japanese was against it stuff too yeah go on oh no 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 i was just saying like i've observed the same thing in like that the japanese like male love like art and descript and like literature about it of course that's not really my area of expertise but i've encountered it and it's very it's like it has it it generates the same level of like uh I don't know dis- disgust or just like shock I guess. Yeah, because you know it's it's like I don't want to be a relativist. Right. But 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 it's hard though. 
It, I, I don't think you, we have to grasp that aesthetically, like to say like it's disgusting and we don't have to grasp it morally either. Yeah. I think we should take the stance that was taken by Plato, which is mm-hmm. that of a critique centered on the power imbalance and the fact that there is like for the, the minor partner, one is being reduced to like a strictly biological status. Whereas, mm-hmm. like, the rela- the actual feeling of love, if you actually had love for someone, would not be of reducing someone to a body. Right. Plato's spitting fire. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, cool. if you have the chance to, like, read about or, like, learn, or if you, I don't know if you probably know a lot, I'm sure, about, like, modern Japanese history. I think Japan is, like, Mm -hmm. one of the most fascinating countries in the world Um, just because of how rapidly it experienced westernization and Mm. also so rapidly became an empire and then so rapidly lost its empire and then also how yeah. rapidly it also how rapidly it reformed its reputation after the second world war and all the atrocities it committed and the ex- insane experiments etc you could go on and on about how brutal the japanese army was but it's but now when we think of japan we think of anime and hello kitty and technology and i think that rebrand is very fascinating Mm-hmm. how successful it is it's super i mean not as much so in asia obviously but to like to the countries that you know japan actually victimized but even still i mean the reach of anime is global and yeah like, you know what i mean like isn't it insane how quickly this all like happened within the span of um like i don't know like 60 70 years yeah, but think about it. Like, think, for example, just about, like, the Meiji Restoration, right? Yes, yes. Because, like, like what they invented themselves a tradition out of thin air. That's you know? true. That's true. Like, and, the, the, like, it's one of the things that you, that, that often happen in, like, the history of, like, I would say nation. It's when, like, a nation suddenly invents itself a history out of fucking nowhere. Yeah. And you look back, and it seems like it had to lead to the point where you are. It's like, if you think about, like, the French Revolution, for example, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when you think about the French Revolution, you feel like it had to happen, you know? Like, right. it was just, like, this um, ineluctability, like, that it was, like, that had to lead there. Mm-hmm. But if you read, like, people writing in 1788, they were like, nothing's ever gonna change, nothing's ever gonna happen, mm-hmm. and then suddenly you can change absolutely everything within, like, a matter of months. That's very interesting. Yeah, so that's that's one of the main reasons I'm fascinated by Japan, and also I liked anime when I was 12, and I wanted to learn Japanese, so there's that too. So, wow. <laughs> I love just listening to you talk. You're very... You should have a podcast. <laughs> Inherent It Girl uh, invented woke brutalism, or maybe didn't invent it. I didn't. You didn't invent it. No, it you was... identified it. Or Did, did you, you or... coin it? Did you did come you up the with term? the name? Did you coin the term? I coined the term, but yeah, like, so you, it was already yeah. there. It was already like, there. Like, it is. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you discovered it. You discovered it, but it was inside me all, all along already. Oh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's so beautiful. Now, now I know what to call it. Uh, yeah, so we are probably getting close to time 
now for the podcast, but I completely agree with Sophie. It's very, very entertaining and interesting listening to you talk. And hopefully we can have you again on soon because I'm sure we have many more questions. Yeah, uh, I, do, there's, I do. There's literally so many things to talk I about. I want to pick your brain. But I feel like we got everything. some we got some great, great. I learned some a lot. Great, we, I did too. I did too. Uh I had I had a great time. Awesome. Thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. It's it's this is something very different for our podcast. So I and I wish I could have <laughs> asked about like how you combine philosophy and memes, but maybe I can ask you that in my in, in Instagram DMs or something. But um, yeah, <laughs> thank you for thank you so much for agreeing to be on. I really we really appreciate it. And everybody who's listening, go by. Technically, man dwells <laughs> upon this earth, which is already out. When did that come out? That came out like the pre-order, like three weeks ago. But the actual like book being out was like today. Oh, sweet. Oh, okay. And yeah, and no, it was like three days ago. Sorry. Okay. And yeah, and 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 I just wanted to mention that because at the end of that book, that's where I make like the distinction, like where I explain what I mean by brutalist art. And that's what I, like, take up again in, like, woke brutalism. Excellent. All right. So I'm going to read that then and get get prepped for uh, woke, <laughs> uh, woke brutalism coming up. Coming, uh, eventually, you're still writing it, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, whenever... I, actually, I was, I was doing that before, like, 5 p.m. Oh, oh wow. So, all right. All right. On the grind. Do you write by candlelight <laughs> or anything like that? Or just, like, what's... Ugh, I want to ask you yeah, so many I'm... questions. Sorry, I want to know what music you listen to. <sighs> M- music. Wait, sorry, Kaya. let me see. It's okay. It's okay. I re- oh, I'm sorry. Th- I just wish I could ask a lot, many, many more questions. I've been I've been listening to like Perfume Genius on loop for like the last week. Okay. Oh yeah, I saw your memes about it. Do you do you ever do you ever listen to like orchestral music? Like, are you a fan of that or not really classical music you mean yeah yeah i mean i i not necessarily classical but like they're you know like the different movements of yeah but before i i i like switched like to the study of ancient greek and ancient philosophy i was supposed to be a conductor really i i used to yeah i used like i i i even conducted once like in public Wow. I, I, I used to study classical music. That's like my main area. Really? But, okay, I know a lot about classical. I was a classical clarinetist. Um, and I... Are you... What do you think... Huh? I want to ask you so many questions. Do you think Tchaikovsky is woke? I know. he He's... I know. That's like some of the worst music ever written. <laughs> <laughs> that's That's like true actual garbage. <laughs> Okay. That's like that's like Tchaikovsky is like it's just so vulgar as music. It's like <laughs> if you if you took like you know that very intense part in Beethoven and like you just stitched them together <laughs> with none of the actual substance, you know. So so who are good composers in your opinion? I think the most underrated composer in history is Mozart. Mozart? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a woke. That's a woke brutal. 
No, but yeah, he's actually. Well, I actually talked about. I played. I played. Um, I played Mozart. He's a uh, I played Mozart's clarinet concerto. No, for real. That's like my favorite piece of music. It's of beautiful. All time. It's beautiful. No, for real. Yeah. Incredible. With like the second movement. The second movement is like... it was the one I was like that. I want. I want a competition with the ah! second movement, actually. What? Yes. Oh my god. Yeah. Okay, we need to. We need to get a a video of you playing. I have some recordings of it. No, no, Sophie. You need to play a live show for me. I haven't played clarinet in two years. All right. Well, next time you're in New York, I'll bring learn your clarinet. A... All right. <laughs> I also play piano too. So. Mm. Do you like who's a woke p- pianist? Mozart. Mozart. Is that it? <laughs> is that it? I mean, I mean, I mean. So like, is Debussy woke? I, I don't know. So like, one of the one of the like the distinction that I make between agalmatic and brutalist art, it's like. When you hear brutalist art, there is no meaning beyond the art itself, you know? So, like, when you hear, like, a melody by Mozart for the piano or something, Mm -hmm. what makes it good is just the fact that it is being itself, you know? It's very functional. Yeah, that's what a... That's in the music, literally. The notes. There is nothing beyond the music in Mozart. That's so true, that's so true. Yeah, so, if so, you listen so do you to like just Beethoven like, to Sch- yeah to Schubert and that stuff, yeah. now there's like a separate plane. The music mm-hmm. is about something else. Yes. So, so are you critical of like the Romantic period? Yeah, I I I really don't like Romantic music. What about like modern, like like Shostakovich I, or um? Uh, not not Shostakovich, but like I can I can enjoy atonal music. Okay. Interesting. Okay, so I can I I can uh, enjoy the second Viennese school, but yeah. not like stuff like Shostakovich. That's fascinating. Do you like Baroque? Yes. Okay. Okay. I think I I think I'm understanding you a little bit more. I just needed to <laughs> understand it through music, which of which I'm kind of like I've studied classical music for years. So this I don't know anything about philosophy, but now I can understand you. I think I can understand. Yeah your philosophy like i mean not actually you know what i mean like i think i can understand your way of thinking looking through it uh th- looking through a, a musical lens More well i i actually really like the romantic period but I, but that's because you like harmony more than I, like yeah. melody and counterpoint yeah, yeah yeah i mean i'm a fan of ballet you know like i i mm-hmm. so that's yeah but i do like mozart but, too i like it all i <laughs> don't but you know the the issue with vertical music mm-hmm. and, and you know what i mean by vertical music i mean yes. like music that is only thinking in terms of chords you know yes so the issue with that music it is that it is like crushing like it it like shuts down your critical abilities <laughs> it's like there's a reason why wagner was the music of fascism yeah and like you know like vertical music music that's just chords mm-hmm. like it's like it basically like crushes individuality under like this mm-hmm. barrage of effect and intensity mm-hmm. which like like is the best type of music that you would want if you were like running a like an irrationalist political movement like fascism right like you could not use 
Mozart to rile people up. That's true. That's true. That's the yeah. That's, that's a, the tea. That's an interesting idea. Sorry, Kayo. <laughs> I know I'm take, dragging this out, but I'll edit this episode because I know it's so long, but I'll edit it for you. No, no, no. It's all good. I I'm, I honestly <laughs> feel like this has been mind-expanding. It, so. it has. It has. I'm going to go listen oh, to I want to know, I wanna know what you think of AI, but I... I wrote a book about that. It's oh. what technically meant well. <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't know that was about the AI. I'm sorry. Okay, I'll read the book. It's not actually about AI. It's like the subject is AI, but just that's just like an excuse. Really. So, so is AI woke brutalism? Approved? No, it's not. Okay, all right. That's all I need. To, that's all I need to know. Okay. Well. <laughs> all right. All right. Thank you so much for coming on. This is the all end right. of the episode for real. This has been Based News Network. Bye. Bye. Bye.